This is the Breaker.News podcast for the week of March 3rd, 2024. I'm Bob Mackin, publisher of the Breaker.News and host of the Breaker.News podcast. Welcome to edition number 332. The Breaker is your source for news, opinion, and analysis about British Columbia issues, institutions, and influencers. Later, I'll tell you how you can support The Breaker. On this edition, headlines from the Pacific Rim and the Pacific Northwest. I award a virtual Nanaimo bar to a difference maker. The new Sinbin feature and the Big Deal feature. Scandals, bloopers, and secrecy in Ottawa, Victoria, and beyond, plus the passing of ex-Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. Welcome to the Sinbin, a new feature on the podcast. West Vancouver Mayor Mark Sager is in the Law Society of BC's Sinbin for the next two years, suspended from being a lawyer for conflict of interest and using a client's trust money for travel to England. Sager brushed off the scandal when he was interviewed by Global News. He claimed it was already in the public domain for years. Excuse me, but Sager forced the Law Society to keep his name secret in the fall of 2022 when he was running for mayor. His actions kept the scandal out of the public domain at a most crucial time. Then there's Hong Guo, who finished fourth in Richmond's 2018 mayoral election. The real estate and immigration lawyer was disbarred late last year. She appealed, but was disbarred a second time this year. The former Chinese government lawyer, whose BC clients included at least one admitted loan shark and money launderer, was deemed ungovernable by the Law Society. The Law Society also said, Guo has a lengthy, serious, and highly aggravating record of professional misconduct, conflict of interest, and misappropriation. There is nothing in BC law to force Sager to step down, and there's nothing in BC law to prevent Guo from running again for mayor of Richmond if she so desires. Should BC's Municipal Act be changed to disqualify people like Sager and Guo? What do you think? Email bob at thebreaker.news. This is the Big Deal feature on the Breaker.News podcast. A whirlwind week in Canadian politics. Geopolitics, national security, cybersecurity, corruption, questions about mega-event costs, and the passing of one of the country's most consequential leaders. The second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine involved a surprise trip by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to Kiev. When he held a news conference in Warsaw on Monday, reporters asked about Canada's delayed arms shipments to Ukraine, but Trudeau provided an embarrassing soundbite. Thank you. Prime Minister, Thank you, everyone. Would you Thank mind you. just to answer in English the question about delays in delivery and what you have in mind to replace what you're not able to deliver to Ukraine? Okay. Thank you. Uh, uh, nous allons toujours être là. No, in English. In English. Okay. <laughs> Um, Thank you. <laughs> we will always be there uh, to support with what uh, Ukraine needs. Uh, our conversations are ongoing, including uh, two days ago with uh, the Ukrainian leadership, including Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, about how we can best help. Uh, we have uh, delivered uh, over $10 billion in aid, including significant military aid, um, drones, uh, light armored vehicles, uh, guns and munitions. We will continue to be there with what we have and we will continue to purchase uh, on the international markets uh, equipment that Ukraine needs, like all our allies do as well. Uh, we are working closely with the American procurement system to get the NASAMs 
that we have uh, purchased for Ukraine to Ukraine. Uh, we're accelerating the process of getting more light armored vehicles off the line in, in, uh, in London, Ontario, uh, at the uh, factories there. Uh, and we're stepping up uh, in every way we can because we know that Russia must uh, win this war. It's a, sorry, that Ukraine must win this war uh, against Russia. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. A Tuesday committee meeting heard from top RCMP officials, Commissioner Michael Duham and Staff Sergeant Frederick Pensence, confirming that the RCMP detectives who investigated the SNC Lavalin scandal did not interview the Prime Minister. Here is Conservative critic Larry Brock. And the totality is the Prime Minister made this his personal mission to interfere in the criminal prosecution for his own political needs and the needs of SNC-Lavalin. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Mr. Chair, I, I would say that uh, the, the assessment that we've conducted, uh, again, our conclusions were that there was insufficient evidence okay. to substantiate an offense. Do you understand why Canadians feel there is a two-level tier justice here in Canada, that the Prime Minister is immune from prosecution because he can hide behind cabinet confidences? He can commit a litany of criminal offenses and just say, sorry, cabinet confidence, I'm not going to allow the RCMP to investigate. Do you understand their concerns, sir? Do you understand Canadians' concerns? If you quick response, please. Yes, uh, Mr. Chair. Uh, as far as this, and we're, we're talking about like uh, ethics and criminality here, uh, which uh, sometimes seems to be intertwined. But again, uh, as I indicated earlier, we have to follow the parameters uh, as laid out in the criminal code. The latest in the Arrive Can app scandal, a GC Strategies subcontractor was also an employee of the Department of National Defense and a candidate for the People's Party in the 2021 election. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev challenged Trudeau on Wednesday in question period. His Arrive scam went from $80,000 to at least $60 million and counting that two insiders got $20 million working from their home basement from this Prime Minister that top Liberal government officials accepted high-end whiskies and dinners in exchange for contracts that they let the contractors write for themselves. Shameful. So once again, will he stay out of the way and let the police investigate his government or will he try to block it again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The right honourable Prime Minister. Opposition needs to work on his French. I think he just needs to work on his listening skills. Because in French, two answers ago, I complimented and thanked the Auditor General for her work in ensuring that rules are followed and processes have consequences if they are uh, misdone. This is a fact that we know that even during a pandemic, uh, we need to be stepping up uh, to protect people along the rules. That's why there will be consequences uh, for anyone who broke those rules or those laws. While we continue to do everything we we need to do to deliver for Canadians, to support people uh, in their daily lives and build a better future for all Canadians. The Trudeau Liberal government's long-awaited online harms bill was tabled Monday by Attorney General Arif Varani. While it contains much-needed protection for children and teenagers online, it also contains sections that claim to battle hate speech but could infringe upon constitutional rights, such as due process. More on that in upcoming editions. Reporters in Ottawa asked Varani in a Wednesday scrum as captured by CPAC. What I've heard resoundingly from law enforcement itself is that they need more responsibility from online platforms. This stuff spreads virally very, very quickly. And when it stays online and stays in the, inter in the internet, even if you were successfully able to prosecute the offender, 
the victimization of that individual child or that woman remains for years thereafter. And lastly, what I would say is, what I've heard constantly from the victims, is that it's really hard to go through a criminal process that takes time. What they want is takedown. They want the material off of the internet. And lastly, some of these perpetrators are in Eastern Europe or three oceans away. The notion that we are going to be able to successfully prosecute people like that quickly is far. The notion of being able to take down the information is immediate. That's what we do. Also long awaited, the documents about the Winnipeg microbiology lab scandal. They confirmed that fired scientists were working with the Chinese government. Health Minister Mark Holland held a news conference on Wednesday before reporters had a chance to read the documents. I mean, you know it. We don't have the documents. Just I'm send not, it to us. So first of all, okay, everybody just take a step back. Mm -hmm. I'll try to take a different approach and perhaps this, this will satisfy you. That the, the decisions that were made, and I, and, I, and I have to make this distinction, the Public Health Agency of Canada operates at an arm's length and appropriately and particularly when we're dealing with, with national security and where we're dealing with uh, the security of labs or with employees and employee information. It is very clear when you read the documents that the employees in question uh, were involved in a, a variety of different scientific enterprises um, that were not disclosed, information was not given. Uh, and that they had relationships that they didn't um, that they were that they didn't uh, provide information and about. What were those With relationships? And those relationships, uh, those the relationships that they had. Uh, included concerns or that, that there may be connection to their involvement with, uh, with, with, with China, as an concerned? example. Are you concerned that China was interfering and trying to get information, delicate information, from Canada's National Microbiology Lab? Well, I'm absolutely certain, and you will see it from the documents, that no sensitive information um, left uh, the labs. But what uh, are they and, trying to get and, it? And, and what I also am certain of, and I wouldn't have been certain of this in 2019, and neither would the Public Health Agency of Canada. Uh, that the lengths to which China was willing to go uh, and is willing to go in a contemporary context um, to influence uh, science and, and obtain information is deeply disturbing. And yes, China is, uh, you know, by all evidence, um, trying to interfere in our domestic circumstance. The same could be said of Russia. And that they, they, the, foreign, the question of foreign interference now is a very real one in a way that in 2019 uh, it simply wasn't. Well, the two Michaels were in June. The two Michaels were in June. Let me go to somebody who... Conservative leader Pierre Polyev held a news conference after receiving the documents. If you think any of this is hyperbole, read the report yourself. This is from government documents, the Trudeau government's own documents. It says here on page 142, Winnipeg lab scientist Dr. Chu is head of the special pathogens unit, the top person in that job. According to documents on page 242, quote, represents a serious and credible danger to the government of Canada as a whole, and in particular at facilities considered high security due to the potential for theft of dangerous materials attractive to terrorists and foreign entities that conduct espionage to infiltrate and damage the economic security of Canada, end quote. It states further on page 239. Investigators assess that Dr. Chu communicated with foreign entities during her trips to China. The evidence obtained from interviews and from information collected from the electronic content of her devices reveal that this is indeed the case. As a subject matter expert with access to sensitive information and dangerous materials, Dr. Chu presents a realistic and credible threat to Canada's economic security when conducting repeated and clandestine meetings with foreign entities." End quote. Then it says Dr. Chu conducted joint research with the Major General Chen Wei 
of the People's Liberation Army, who according to page 236, is a noted top virologist at the Academy of Military Medical Scientists and is China's chief biological defense expert engaged in research related to biosafety, biodefense, and bioterrorism. Bioterrorism, end quote. And these are, def these are do documents, this is right out of the government's own documents. Trudeau, what did he do when he found out about this? Did he immediately inform Canadians of the breach? Did he fire anybody? No, no one was fired. Did he call an inquiry to get to the bottom of it? No, he didn't do that either. Instead, he covered it all up. He defied four parliamentary orders to release these documents. When the speaker tried to get them, he sued the speaker to cover this up. He said it was all for national security, but well, we know from a committee composed of four members of parliament, including one liberal, and three judges, and I quote, the, the information appears to be mostly about protecting the organization from embarrassment for failures in policy and implementation, not legitimate national security concerns, and its rele release is essential to hold the government to account. In other words, there was no national security reason why we couldn't have had this before. In British Columbia, the week after the NDP government's new budget, which contains a $7.9 billion deficit. On Wednesday, BC United critic Pierre Millibar grilled Finance Minister Katrine Conroy in question period about the mystery of budgeting for the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Page 61, under priority spending, where they only use FIFA as a descriptor for the billion dollars in the budget next year and the $2 billion the following year, the Minister doesn't want to shine any light on how much the true cost of FIFA actually is to British Columbians. So that, you know, has a lot of activists talking about these large international sporting events. And I'll quote one, they say, a lot of people were opposed to the idea that we would spend hundreds of millions of tax dollars with no accountability when we're dealing with homelessness crisis, an education crisis, and so many other spending crises right now in British Columbia, end quote. Well, Mr. Speaker, that activist, and I see him smiling, is actually our Premier, criticizing the 2010 Olympics, while then he was writing a pamphlet on how for protesters to evade law enforcement. Now that he's in charge, Mr. Speaker, no transparency and won't answer any questions about the FIFA costs, Mr. Speaker. So to the Premier. Has the Premier flip-flopped yet again on another one of his former principles, or will he actually release today the actual costs of FIFA. Here. Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> you know, first the opposition leader misreads the budget and calls a tax cut a tax hike, and now the now the member opposite fails to understand how contingencies work. You know, the vast majorities. The vast majorities of contingencies in Budget 2024 are not for FIFA. Just to make it clear, there is not $3 billion for FIFA. Members. Most of the contingencies that the members, members keep referring to, the member referred it in his budget response speech yesterday, $3 billion are going to FIFA. It's inaccurate. That is just wrong. So, the contingency money, the contingencies fund, 
are for caseload pressures. They are for things like emergency. Members, well, the members, members should well know caseload pressures includes wildfires, which were substantial last year. We need to ensure members, that we have money for fire. Members wildfires. don't get too excited. And unforeseen, unforeseen issues. You know, it's Members, 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 members will come to order. Minister will conclude. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And of course, if there is funding that we need for this year for, for FIFA, it will be used in contingencies, but not $3 billion, for goodness sakes. So we, we know that this is going to be a world-class event. We know that it has the... We know... We know that it is going to have the opportunity to generate over a billion dollars for the people of the province. It's going to be an exciting event for people right across the province, and we will have the uh, we will have the members. Members. Why do they hate soccer? I don't know why they hate soccer. It's a good question. I don't understand it. I mean, people are really excited. from all over the world to watch this this and seven games in Vancouver it's amazing Mr. Speaker, we will have the numbers soon. We want to get those numbers right and we will have those numbers soon. On Thursday, the family of former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney announced he had died at age 84. The Progressive Conservative leader held office from 1984 to 1993. One of his crowning achievements was leading the international struggle against apartheid in South Africa. Nelson Mandela, shortly after being freed from jail, came to Ottawa in June 1990 and called Mulroney a true friend. Here is a clip from Mulroney's interview with CBC when he attended Mandela's funeral. If uh, Canada, middle power, uh, doesn't stand for human rights, and the defense of human rights and individual liberties, you know, what do we stand for? And so when I came in, uh, it, it occurred to me uh, that uh, after Mr. Diefenbaker, uh, Canada's support for Mandela and this kind of thing was rather tepid and uh, inconsistent with our fundamental values. So we set a new course where we would use the G7, uh, the Commonwealth, the Sommet de la Francophonie, and the United Nations at all times and in all circumstances to promote the interests of Nelson Mandela, his freedom, uh, the legalization of the ANC, and the emergence of the end of apartheid and the emergence of South Africa as a multiracial democratic state. That was our priority. And uh, we did all kinds of things, beginning with the appointment of Stephen Lewis, to the, which is an unusual appointment, to the United Nations, where he did a fabulous job and highlighted this enormous problem. Then we took it step after step. Joe Clark did a fabulous job in this. And uh, we finally got it done with the Commonwealth. But that's why I felt that it was a travesty and a shame that we were not doing more, and I determined we would. Podcast for Around the Rim. We look at news headlines around the Pacific Rim. In the Taiwan news, Taiwan rated second freest in Asia by Freedom House, seventh in world.
Taiwan's Me Too movement led to social reckoning with sexual violence and gender inequality. Trailing only Japan, Taiwan is tied for seventh freest in the world with the Czech Republic, Chile, Barbados, and Iceland. In Kyoto News, Shohai Otani, happy with married life but keeps wife's name secret. Otani, 29, said he first met the woman three or four years ago in Japan and they got engaged last year. Los Angeles Dodger Otani surprised fans by posting an Instagram on Thursday that he married the woman. In the Hong Kong Free Press, Hong Kong's broad homegrown security law may curtail free speech and press freedom, foreign governments and groups say. Groups said the new homegrown security law lacked defenses for acting in the public interest, whistleblowing and news reporting. That's Around the Rim on this edition of the Breaker.News podcast. News podcast for Cascadia Calling. We look at news headlines around the Pacific Northwest. In the Oregonian, Portland Timbers dropped Debella sponsorship after accusations against CEO. CEO Donnie McMillan Jr. was accused by a former executive of sexually harassing and making unwanted advances toward at least three female employees. What was originally announced as a multi-year deal between the Timbers and Debella lasted roughly three months. The home improvement company, founded in Portland but headquartered in Austin, Texas, has 49 locations nationwide and specializes in roofing, siding, window, and bath installation. In Crosscut, Washington Public Records access is getting worse, says Watchdog Report. The Washington Coalition for Open Government found that public officials and agencies often obstruct people requesting public information. In 2019, people waited an average of 15 days, which increased to 23 days by 2022. Public officials are also withholding more information and are not facing discipline when they break the law. In The Times Colonist, plan to expand killer whale foraging areas could be devastating for Port Renfrew. The town on the southwest tip of Vancouver Island is heavily reliant on anglers who flock to the area in the spring and summer to catch the premium of sports fish. The problem is the endangered killer whales, just 75 animals, rely on Chinook salmon as their main food source, prompting the Department of Fisheries and Oceans to propose expanding existing foraging zones. That's Cascadia calling on this edition of the Breaker.News podcast. Every week we end the Breaker.News podcast on a tasty note by awarding the goodness of a virtual Nanamo bar to people making a difference. A virtual version of the province's favorite dessert bar goes this week to community social services providers, people who help people through childcare, victim services, job training, English as a second language, and much, much more. March is Community Social Service Awareness Month in British Columbia. You can nominate someone for a virtual Dynamo bar. Send me an email to bob at thebreaker.news. Spruce Hill Contracting, Custom Homes and Renovations. Find more information at sprucehill.ca. That's it for the Breaker.News podcast for March 3rd, 2024.
I'm Bob Mackin. Thanks for joining me. Did you know that on the 3rd of March in 1875, the Victoria Skating Club hosted the first organized indoor ice hockey game ever played in Montreal? Now you know. Send me your feedback. Send me your story ideas to bob at thebreaker.news. Bookmark thebreaker.news. You can also find us at thebreaker.ca. Sign up for the email newsletter. It's free. And get updates to your inbox or follow the Breaker News on X, formerly Twitter, for news as it happens. And you can support the Breaker for as little as $2 a month. For more information, go to patreon.com slash thebreakernews. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thebreakernews. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>